0: Hey, Bill and Rob's listeners, have you made it over to patreon.com slash Bill and Rob's to see all of the new stuff we're doing this season? If you haven't, you might want to go check it out because there's a lot of fun things going on. Patreon.com slash Bill and Rob's. But if you're on the fence, we wanted to entice you by temporarily letting out some of our favorite episodes. Last year, we covered all of the Planet of the Apes movies, and this month, we're going to let you hear a few of the ones that have been paywalled. It was a lot of fun. We did even more exciting stuff. But check these out and then go check out all of our new series and all of our premium episodes at patreon.com slash billandrobs. (laughs) Robs.
1: Welcome to Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. I'm Bill Tilly.
0: And I am Rob Schulte. Hi, Bill. Hi, Rob's. How are you? I'm doing
1: good as we record this. It's Fuh 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 Friday, baby. TGI Friday. Uh huh. And, and that G does not stand for gorilla. No. No.
0: It, well. No, it doesn't. No. It doesn't. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank just, goodness it doesn't stand for gorilla.
1: Ew, no, they're the warmongers. We don't want to mess with them. We're we're built for love, not war.
0: Although not necessarily in today's film.
1: Well, that's true. Today's film definitely probably could have used a gorilla or two at a certain point.
0: You might need a gorilla here or there in 1991, but Bill, you know, so much has happened. We're so so deep into the ape world that I I got to say now that we've reached, you know, conquest of the planet of the apes, maybe Tim Burton's film does fit into this world.
1: I think that's entirely possible. I kind of know that some of that film is based on the film that we watched today. And it just kind of makes me really want to get to this mishmash Burton esque version of this story pretty bad, but not yeah. so bad that I'm willing to time jump ahead of this or the next movie.
0: But also you are right. Like I definitely, we needed to go in the order we went in because I had no idea we were going to get to 1991.
1: (laughs) That Uh, that one struck me particularly. That's the year I graduated high school. So, ah, you know, I was imagining somewhere in the background of this world, there's a young me in a cap and gown, just trying to get (laughs) by and wonder what he's going to do to serve his ape overlords in the coming future.
0: You gotta wonder sometimes mm-hmm. how do how do I serve the ape? Um, but Bill, let's see here. How do we serve one another and our audience by letting them know about this film? Well, of course, it's by reading the monkey on the back of the box, <laughs> and that is a little something from another voicemail voicemail, another VHS tape that I found that was not. Of the world of like, hey, we're in the Planet of the Apes. You know, there's like mauve and purple and green VHS tapes of this. No, no, no.
1: Those ones that came in a terrible box with a slip cover that always came unglued and flaps around on your shelf. And you just want to tear it off. But you know, if you do, it's just going to make the rest of your set look terrible.
0: Yes, it does look terrible. And now something that's not terrible is the back of the non-terrible VHS box which I will be reading right now. Set in the near future, the story takes place after a mysterious disease from space has killed off Earth's dogs and cats. In their place, monkeys have become household pets. Though their intelligence has quickly elevated them to the position of servants and errand runners, humans show no appreciation of the apes treating them like slaves. But among the cowering creatures is one advanced ape from the future, Caesar, who suffers one cruel indignity on top of another until he leads a spectacular revolt of his fellow monkeys against their cruel human masters. Question. Is Caesar from the future?
1: No. Not at all? No. I don't think.
0: No. Considering he was born... In the seventies.
1: Well, what does Zira say? She did know she was pregnant when they. She passes out in the museum from the last movie. So,
0: Bill, I guess it all depends on where you think life begins. <laughs> yeah, which is a debate. I think we we knew we were going to get to in the Planet of the Apes. Dis- oh, for sure. We all
1: know <laughs> that the true basis of all theology rests at the. Planet of the Apes, with its being its core foundations, but
0: and now our T-shirts of Satan's podcast <laughs> make even more sense.
1: Yeah, that's going to be a thing. Everybody keep keep your eyes on that store.
0: It has already been a thing. But yeah,
1: it is interesting. But I wouldn't. I would say really, honestly, no, because he's born in what is this the present day? So he grows up. Yeah, alongside everybody else. So,
0: but Bill, tell me. If Caesar's present day Caesar, if Caesar's Mr. 70's Caesar, where are you when this movie comes out? Where am
1: I actually when this movie came out?
0: Actually, where did you, did you get to see this film in theaters?
1: Oh no, this movie came out a year before I was born. So I know oh, that's right.
0: Yeah. I keep thinking 1991, <laughs> but it's actually just set in 1991.
1: See, yeah, that's how that year really just drills into you. Yeah, I'm not that old. So we're yeah,
0: we're, I know you just had your birthday, but you're not that old.
1: Yes, I would have been at this point born in a different cage, like Caesar was in the last movie. I'm I'm on my way. So. And Uh, I am in the uh, future of this movie. But no, I saw this movie on reruns at some point when I was a kid. And I know I've only seen this movie once before. And so it was a long time ago. So this was a really, really new experience for me to watch this movie and pay attention to it for this podcast.
0: Oh, boy, was it? I have never seen this movie. I didn't know what Conquest was about. Kind of knew what uh, Beneath the Planet of the Apes was about you know, it's, it's, it's a real deal. Holy field here, man.
1: It is. And I like a lot of people. And I think uh Brian had touched on it in our beneath review that I had overlooked completely how really dark and violent the series is. I, I remember the toys and the commercials and, you know, the kids running around with this stuff and you think, you know, ah, goofy sci-fi movie, but, Boy, is it not. It is really <laughs> a kind of a downer for your movie yeah. viewing night in yeah. some ways. And in other ways, it's kind of awesome. But I'm sure we'll get to that later. But yeah, this is this one is, I think, pretty much, I would say, well, barring blowing up the earth and Beneath the Planet of the Apes. It's probably the most violent movie we've watched so far in this series.
0: Yeah. I mean, Bill, there's a lot of blood in this movie. Never seen this much blood in a Planet of the Apes film. Call it interesting, call it avant-garde, but uh, I liked it. I liked this film. I think we'll get a little bit more into like the nuances of what like might mean as we get through it. But should we jump into our segments?
1: I think we should skip to a head in the evolutionary scale of things and talk about some interesting, fun, shocking facts that we discovered while... Watching this movie, we call it Evolutionary Studies.
0: Bill, I love studying. I love school. I love learning. Nerd. (laughs) But you might have one of the best Evolutionary Studies segments we've had since we've begun this podcast. Uh, Would you like to start off today?
1: I was extremely proud of this one. And I thought, well, a little peek behind the kimono here, dear listeners. I put my stuff in the show notes before Rob did this time. And when I dropped this beauty in there, I was like, oh, if only I could see his face when he opens this (laughs) Google Doc. There was a contest to promote this movie. Reminded, we've just talked about how violent and bloody this movie is. Uh, They held a Most Beautiful Ape contest in the Century City Plaza, Where this movie is filmed, when you watch it, it's the same place. And it was hosted by none other than Gary Owens. And this (laughs) touched me in the heart because Gary's voice, you'll know it when you hear it. And he did one of my all-time favorite characters of Space Ghost. So, Gary ran this contest. They had these ladies come in in skimpy outfits, put on ape masks, and then have a beauty contest. And pick which one was the most beautiful. And the winner was named Dominic Green. She and Dominique, Dominique Green, and she is contestant number two in the photo we're looking at, which Rob can see in front of me. And she won a contract for a supporting role in Battle for the Planet of the Apes. And this picture is glorious to see—so much seventies hair, and then so much (laughs) seventies go-go boots, and then these five lovely women in just big old sweaty ape masks standing in front of everything. So yeah, this is this is right up there with uh, some classic. Pre equality Hollywood really stretching itself out.
0: Well, I gotta say, Bill, like as silly as this is, and as like dated as it is for what you're talking about, like this is just a stone's throw away from trying to find the most attractive ape for what was it? War for the Planet of the Apes, yeah. right? You know what I mean? Like when they <laughs> yeah. did that, yeah. Like not much different. Nope. <laughs>
1: Nope. Really, this movie and the people around it, they're drawing parallels with the bad humanity, getting bad treatments from bad apes all the way through. And They don't even know what they're doing when you see that they're going on outside the movie and they're basically reinforcing everything that they're saying about people. But yeah, this is a spectacular photo. Just Google it, everybody. It'll pop right up on your screen. It's quite impressive.
0: It's wild, 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 wild. And God love
1: Gary Owens in that perfect head of hair with those great big shiny Elvis Presley (laughs) glasses. Love it.
0: Oh man. Um, Well, Bill, I've got a couple of things here as well. Apparently the original script draft of this showed more of the rapid evolution of the apes from primitive to intelligent, and then showed the progression of apes from pets to slaves. At the like beginning of this movie and huh. through some of the more explanations of it. But like you kind of wonder how much they want to hammer in some of the points that they have because well, it's a Planet of the Apes film. The script is what the script is, but it is very much like... Yeah, I get the point you're trying to make with this. But then to imagine that this film also might have had more explanation about the evolution of apes and pets and stuff, it just feels like, wow, okay. Where was this script at the beginning? Like, what, what got chipped away, you know? Uh,
1: yeah, I'm with you. That would have been, I think a hard sell because in this movie, Ricardo Montalban's character Armando kind of gives us this, what I called the super exposition at the beginning of the movie to Caesar, where he basically explains all the movies up to this point and what's going to happen. And the concept is so kind of ridiculous to start with. I have a feeling if they had tried to show it, Mm. I think it would have really been a struggle to, to carry that in a way that would have looked good and, believable within the confines of this apes universe That's I think if we've learned anything about what we've seen so far is there are definitely situations where less is more and well that's the truth but you know it's script writing you know they're trying to throw everything but the apy kitchen sink and at the start and then cut it all down I'm glad that got cut actually
0: yeah me too me too what else did you have for our learning segment so
1: as we've chronicled with the other movies and with most sequels, we found history shows. The budgets in each one seem to get cut and cut and cut. It's never going to be what it was to start with. And this movie was no different. But this movie looks big. It really does. And yeah. I found out that that was a specific thing that they credited to the director, Jaylee Lee Thompson. He framed this movie in such a ways that they only had a few dozen ape extras But when you watch this movie, it looks like there are hundreds of them in certain scenes. And I was watching this movie going, boy, you know, I know they cut the budget on this, but where they really sprung for some extra masks and stuff, but they didn't. And it really came off great. It really looks like there's this huge horde. And he framed the city shots because they film in this plaza, which is very small. But he did it from a thousand different angles in a thousand different ways where it really looks much, much bigger than what you're seeing so you know this is some classic 70s making the best out of what you got
0: movie magic
1: yeah and he did a really excellent job and it fooled me because i'm thinking boy they really did get some more location shooting in they did not they they really (laughs) did not they were in a very small place so that was kind of amazing
0: yeah i'm i'm very impressed on this um it's obviously filmed at like you know, the college campus, but like, boy, did this remind me of all of the areas of the college I went to that had buildings built in the 60s and 70s. Like, there was a definitely a style at that time. And I was just like, wow, I'm glad to see that it was confirmed that it was like university.
1: Yeah, it's that real austere, like gray concrete just everywhere. I mean, it it's kind of depressing, you know, when you mm-hmm. see just that much non-green space and everything's just that pale gray it's set out to do a tone and they found a spot that did it kind of perfectly
0: yeah but that was just a little side comment my my other and final knowledge point here let's say is that the jumpsuits worn by the apes you know to save cost on all of that fur Uh, We're leftover costumes from the Fox TV series, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome.
0: Which everyone is, you know, we're we're letting you know now that is the next series we're covering on Bill and (laughs) Rob.
1: Don't joke about that. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea starring Richard Basehart, Zanesville, Ohio native.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yep. He's a local boy.
0: Well, Bill, you're... Your choice is next, and we only have one, maybe two episodes left of this series. So,
1: you never know, you got to keep listening. But know. yeah, they probably made a good choice for that because the jumpsuits at least look a little more comfortable, probably than those giant layers of nylon that they wore in the desert for the first couple of apes movies.
0: Well, and I'm sure everyone working at the hotels are much happier. That people might be bathing in jumpsuits instead of <laughs> full fur suits.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, they don't have to pull all that hair out of the tub every time. That's working yes. well for everybody. But yeah. Yes. It, you know, and it looks good for the aesthetic for this movie. It's supposed to look oppressive. And they, you know, they call them what they are. They're, they're indentured servants and all that other stuff. So, putting them in jumpsuits is like prison. So, it worked out yep. well. We got a good look.
0: We got a great look, quite frankly. And you know what else is great, Arnest... Our next segment on this show, oohs and ahs. Ooh, ooh, ah, ah. Oh, oh, you're right. It's likes, amusing moments, things that we love. And here's the thing, Bill, I'm going to start us off. I hinted at it before. I just love, it's just like 1991. And all it needed was a gritty voice to give us like, you know, there is no voiceover in this, but I could imagine... A trailer for this movie made in 1991 would be like, it's the 90s. Uh Apes have evolved.
1: Oh yeah, I total John Carpenter type moment for something like that. And I'm with you because, like I said, graduated that year, and it struck me how no, this is not the 1991. I remember this is definitely the 70s projecting out, and always went so far. But boy. That was a striking moment on screen. And you almost wanted to hear the big dun-dun-dun drum roll when it came in.
0: Well, and the weird thing is, is that like sometimes, you know, sci-fi movies and TV, when they know they're being set in the future, at least have some sort of semblance of future tech, right? I think the closest thing I could tell to future tech in this movie is that all of like, when they're like, answer the phone, you need to get to a phone and answer the phone. And he takes the phone off the wall. There's no cord. Oh, uh-huh. But then on the bottom of the phone where the cord would be plugged in, is just a piece of red tape that doesn't match the same color red of the phone. Oh, no. But there's still like a rotary dial on it and everything. It's like... Well, at least you, you predicted cordless technology.
1: Yeah. I, I'm always glad when you say cordless and not wireless, because there's still wires in that phone. But that's just the Stephen yeah. Wright side of me coming out for something like that. I love it. Yeah. There's is there really? There's not really one big piece of tech in this movie that kind of jumps out. I did like the fact that, of course, the thing that carries over, still a wet bar in all government official offices.
0: Yeah. And clock radios. Oh, man. You got to love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bill, what's something that you liked about this? Something that m- amused you?
1: <laughs> so it's not long after that title card. Uh, Armando and Caesar are walking through the plaza, handing out flyers for the circus. And Armando's yes. doing his big spiel about how we got to where we were. What happens to the dogs and cats? And off to the side, you see this, they walk up to it. And it's a memorial for all the mm-hmm. dogs and cats that were lost in this plague. And it's the tiniest little kiosk display with one, I'm sure paper mache, but supposed to be brass or whatever, oh, no, copper no, no, no. dog and a cat. And the plaque just says, in memoriam, 1983 on it. And the dog statue has a plaque on it that says, Rover. And I just wanted to fall out of my chair. Like, what is- Not even Rex. No, what is it? Like, Rover? This is the worst thing. But like, well, poor cat didn't even get a name. I God. watched and couldn't find it. But I got to thinking- does every city have one of these monuments in it somewhere like they have this giant scarring event in their lives and this is all the dogs and cats kit it's like this four dollar display <laughs> that looks like something you'd put in your yard at Halloween
0: why what
1: yeah no where's it's it, not even a fountain I'm I'm a I'm amused but I'm also appalled for the memory of these fake dogs and cats
0: it was very disheartening we'll talk about it more I'm sure but like what a weird aspect to this movie. But we're talking about things we liked. And mine's more of a another one is a, more of an overview, which is that I'm just really digging the Terminatorness of this series. I talked about it last episode. We've now met another Caesar. We know Caesar from the first three movies we watched for this series. It's a Caesar of two worlds. It's almost like the Terminator tech being made from the Terminator arm that's found when it comes back in time. You know, like who is the Caesar that starts this? You know,
1: that's deep. I like it.
0: Which also it makes me happy that we didn't actually watch, you know, what is it? Voyage to the Planet of the Apes. What was the one before this? Escape from the Planet, <laughs> of, from the the Apes? Planet of the Apes. Before the newer ones, because you're right, we would have to watch that, then we'd have to watch this, and then we'd get a different Caesar, and then it's like, what?
1: Yeah, and hey, you know, maybe that Terminator feeling you get is because, in a way, we get good Roddy McDowell ape, and we get somewhat bad Roddy McDowell ape, or at least militant Roddy McDowell ape.
0: Yeah, a uh, Roddy of two worlds, for sure. (laughs)
1: Love, I love it. If only he was still here to do that particular movie, I would I would pay for that in a heartbeat.
0: No. <laughs> uh, what do you got? What's your other like?
1: Oh well, my other like,
0: or your ooh, or your ah, uh, whatever you want to call
1: it. Yeah, my my other fun scene involves uh, Mister McDowell and his ape outfit. Uh, there's Caesar at one point is captured, and he's got to play along that he's just a plain old chimpanzee can't talk, do that. He does not want anybody to find him out. And he's going through and they uh, decide he's kind of the right guy for them to make some more little apes to run around and do Mm. dishes and such. So he is led into a facility by what I have termed for this guard. I have named him chimp pimp (laughs) and he is led to a room with a lady chimp and they are there for the art of procreation. And what a weird scene. Like, they have another lady chimpanzee in this cell. She's dressed no different than the rest of them. She's got her jumpsuit on. She's not dressed in any kind of negligee or anything, but she's posed like a sex worker in a seventies film. Yeah, they don't give her the sexy seventies music. But I just looked at her and she kind of flutters her eyelashes. Like I'm like, what the hell is going on here? What is this? And I love Rodney McDowell's expression where he just kind of looks in and he's like, looks back at the chimp pimp and looks at him and he's like, huh? And then you kind of get that. All right. Look on his
0: face. (laughs) He's
1: like, well, gosh, got to play along. Guess I'm going to have to go sex this chimp lady up. And you don't see it.
0: Without even any base. No,
1: no. So, you know, he apparently, he's like, I'm not one of them. But he was for a few minutes anyway. So.
0: He's still an ape.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So good thing. Because he's got no game. That was a lame look. But she, she was with it anyway. So weird. Yeah. Just weird. But made me laugh.
0: Well, Bill, that just leads me to ask you. Who in this film is your champ chimp? Oh. We know who your chimp pimp is. <laughs> yes. Who's your champ chimp? Yeah,
1: chimp pimp is uh he he can't be replaced by anybody. But my champ chimp is Roddy McDowell as Caesar. His performance in this movie is just it's great. It's absolutely great. I love Roddy McDowell. I've always liked him in things, but he really takes it to the hoop with this one, I think. He's got drive and emotion, and he's super duper. Emotes all the pain and anguish he feels. You know the 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 anger that he's got for these people that are hurting him. It's a real super performance. I mean, you take that mask off of him and put him in any other period piece where this is a thing, and you're crying your eyes out. So,
0: well, I have to say, like, I could totally imagine a lot of the speeches he gives, especially towards the end, as like weird, like ambiance intros to like a heavy metal album or something, oh, you know, like yeah. if you take out the ape parts, hell, leave you leave the ape parts in, but you kind of like, space his speech out a little bit and have, like, a droning, like, yeah. Oh, wow, absolutely. Wow, underneath it, like, you could really imagine being at a concert where that's like the intro to it, you know?
1: <laughs> it would. It would be awesome. And the other thing about him is, like, when he's doing it, like, he doesn't cra- He doesn't play a crazy person. Caesar's not insane. No. He's not, he's just filled with rage and pain, and you sympathize for him, so he, he does it with... And he's an orphan. He is, and he does it this whole performance without being foolish or crazy or anything like that. It's just, it's stellar. So, Roddy McDowell, champ, champ for me. How about you, Rob's?
0: Well, obviously, Roddy McDowell is on the list, but you know, I'm going to have to go with Armando. Armando. Oh, sorry. Armando. Armando.
1: I think you're legally required to say his name that way.
0: Yes. Um, he was great. I told you last episode if he's in a movie, he's most likely going to be my champ champ.
1: Oh. So, Ricardo Montalban just one of the yeah. greats. He's just he, he just ta- believable. He takes that camera away from everybody else in the scene most of the time.
0: And apparently, yeah, you know, they say that in Wrath of Khan he might have been wearing a pectoral chest piece. Huh, no, I think uh-uh. it's all him.
1: No. There's no fake Montalban in that <laughs> That's 100% monobond.
0: 100% mont.
1: Absolutely. It might bod. Yeah. I mean, if they had done that, they would have made it out of rich Corinthian leather. And that's not what
0: I saw. Of course. Well, Bill, you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing on the horizon another segment, and that's what's driving us bananas. (laughs) Bill, what was something you disliked in this film or that you found was kind of silly
1: well the whole idea of replacing dogs and cats with apes is ridiculous (laughs) it just is as pets or as servants it's just ridiculous like they caught over the fact that apes would grow up to be large creatures with massive amounts of strength and so they that's not these are humanistic looking apes for because there's humans in the suits. They just have to be. But if this was real, they would tear the humans apart every time something went wrong or the human smacked them with a the newspaper. And the movie just doesn't care about it. So it just lets it go. But you don't get rid of your dog and then go to the zoo and pick out a creature that's going to turn into a 150, 200 pound you know, arm ripping machine. It's like yep. having Chewbacca in your house after you lose a chess game. It's just it's just it's just silly and a ridiculous idea. And my other thought was like, what about all the jobs that they take from the people that used to be servants and waiters and whatever? Like, <laughs> it would be I would be super irate.
0: You mean like service workers? Yeah.
1: Like, did another plague come along and wipe out the service worker industry? Then that would have made sense to me. Like a comet yeah. hits and it takes out all the bus boys. But you know what I'm seeing these apes as they're saying they've trained them and put them into the workforce. Some of them especially ones that cut hair and things not looking so hot. I don't really see how they took the job away from a fully trained, functional opposable thumbs human, but they did.
0: This was a once around the table thing. It's like, okay, yeah. Animals that humans do like, uh, you know, I, I have to say that like, this is also on my list of dislikes. So just to talk a little bit further about it, like, come on, dogs and cats aren't also like fixing your breakfast for you. Or pouring you water, right? Like the best maybe a dog is doing is getting the newspaper. And I'm pretty sure that only happens on cartoons anyway.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Astro is not coming around the corner with that.
0: (laughs) This is such a leap of like logic for a Planet of the Apes film. Yeah. Right? Like we are suspending our belief systems for a lot in this.
1: Yeah. When you look at the new movies we watched, the idea that the human race got thinned out is a much more plausible reason for something like this to happen. I'm really surprised that they didn't do a, you know, something happened and now there aren't as many humans. So we had to train the apes as a workforce of some kind to keep our society afloat. But
0: The dogs and cats got their virus and then started killing the humans. How about that?
1: That would have been amazing. Now, I want to see Escape from the Planet of the Dogs and Cats before this one. That'd be great.
0: Yes. Ugh. Well, Bill, I, I, I'll just say the other thing that I kind of disliked was, although this movie was a little more violent, and that's not really a problem, it was ketchup packet violence. <laughs> Whenever an ape got like shot in the head, it's like, do you remember in the Pink Panther movie? When Clouseau accidentally like, or someone accidentally shoots themselves in the face with a gun, <laughs> but it's just like the, the gunpowder yeah. afterwards just across the face yeah, like that, but with blood in this movie. And you're kind of just like, I remember watching that Pink Panther movie and being like, oh my God, he just shot himself in the head.
1: <laughs> yeah. He doesn't get killed. He just gets Dick Van Dyke chimney sweep soot blown yeah. in his face. Yeah, that is weird. It's,
0: I'm telling you what, in this movie, they also get that ketchup packets <laughs> in the face. I, <laughs> I,
1: I flashed on Dan Aykroyd as Julia Child myself with the blood finger from
0: <laughs> yes. Saturday Night Live, or or Eric the Red the toy. <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> oh man, I haven't thought about that. So <laughs> since this movie was new, holy cow!
0: Yeah, but that's just kind of where I'm at. You know, they did violence it It just wasn't needed, like it didn't need to be as violent if the violence and the blood, the gore, if you will, was that? No, nah, you could just do implied things. It's like, I don't know, like when you watch Fight Club and like one of the most brutal scenes is all of the punches you don't see get hit, you know
1: yeah, that's a definitely an instance where we probably could have done the less is more type of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about you? What was your other thing that you disliked? <laughs> could have been silly it's just been silly this one wasn't so
1: much silly as this one I took umbrage with the plot line and I know that's something weird that we've just been digging on the plot a little bit this <laughs> one really got me it's the electrocution scene where Caesar's caught and they're gonna get answers out of him so they use electroshock to get what they want and then they decide you know as usual the governor says "We'll just off him and all I could think of every time I see one of these films was Scott Evil was right
0: yeah I've got a gun in my room. I will go get
1: it now. We'll shoot him. We'll be done. They never do this. And I know this is a trope that we used, but this one really just ran up in your face and went, God, advance the plot because his escape is super contrived. It just happens to coincide with his one human ally turning the power off at the exact moment and him seeing it. And it's just so paper thin. And then he plays dead. Apparently well enough to, I suppose, stop his heart because the one guard looks at him and goes, yeah, he's dead. Like, never. So many supervillains would be more successful if they just showed a little more initiative. Just come on, guys, a little more follow through on these things. So, yeah, yeah, it was just a week. I would rather something else, anything else would have happened to cause him to get out of his restraints in a logical way. But they didn't go with that. And then their high tension turned into kind of a farce for me. So didn't like that part.
0: Well, I'll tell you like that goes right with my dirty ape moment. Oh, and my dirty ape in this movie was whoever was in charge of making the shackles work (laughs) on the electrotherapy table. (laughs) They just Uh like look like pieces of like, I don't know, fluff fabric of some sort. They don't actually Shackle at all.
1: No, no. They they look like they've got the, the craftsmanship of cardboard and aluminum foil made with the dexterity and toughness of a Spencer's Gift pair of handcuffs.
0: All you need is one brass oh, snap that you spray paint silver yeah. and it would have... Held. Yeah. And instead it just f- kind of flops around his wrist yeah. and people just kept filming. Or
1: a belt, you know, just a plain old yeah. off the shelf belt. Actually,
0: you know, he would have still been held in place. Yeah. I'll, but I will
1: say amazing scene for Roddy again, that scene, as much as I don't like it, his part in it, Ugh, blood curdling to the yeah. point where I will say that, you know, I watched this, this film in this other room, away from my wife and when i saw her later she was like i don't know what you were watching but i don't like it
0: i don't want to hear the screams
1: yeah she said that one was too dark and she wasn't even looking at it so oh wow mm-hmm.
0: well um bill who was your dirty ape then
1: well my dirty ape in this movie is more than one ape it's many apes, <sighs> but this time it's the damn dirty humans
0: wow
1: Ah. Uh, Dude, if you had any sympathy for the human race in these, in this universe of movies, it's gone with this yeah. movie. It's absolutely yeah. gone. Everyone in this movie, at best, is just bad. And at their worst, they're all cruel and stupid. And at their very worst, they're fascists. You know, they're, it's just a bad scene. And so you can't, I couldn't. So I found myself not being able to root for anyone, even the one human ally to Caesar in this movie. He ain't great and he nah. should be. But like all the people that have been oppressed that are in the background, like this is a normal looking cast of people for the most part. Like they suddenly became cool with all this cruelty that's just in your face. They're just beating these animals and treating them badly and talking down to them.
0: And we're in the swing in 90s, yeah. baby.
1: Like. I don't know. Well, you know, this we're getting into Generation Y at this point. so hmm. I got a big why there. So
0: Generation it, Y not. Right? Like,
1: you know, as much as I had problems with Taylor, you can understand his situation in the first movies and you kind of get it. But you really just can't root for it. It made me feel bad. It made me feel bad as a human. I had humanistic guilt watching this movie of these fake things that happened. So yeah. I, I give it to the humans in this movie. They're just not good people and they don't really deserve to be saved. So it's hard to root for them in the end, getting their comeuppance.
0: Especially that darn governor.
1: Well, the governor especially is a terror, terrible, terrible person. If, if the previous movie thought that villain, the, the actor that played him thought he was a caricature, this one, Don Murray takes it over the top into full on, you know, comic book, red skull territory with this guy. He's,
0: Turtleneck bad guy.
1: Yeah, really, the slick back turtleneck 70s businessman turned fascist territorial governor.
0: <laughs> well, Bill, I think we're both on the same page here, but we should give our final thoughts and take care of some monkey business.
1: Let's do that.
0: Bill, I'll, I'll just say, you know, before I rate this, is it a packed house or a mad house? Um like I said earlier, we now have a tale of two Caesars. I love it. I love when things are getting a little bit more confusing. It also makes me laugh even harder at what are they trying to do with these newer Planet of the Apes films? Right? Like what is the end goal? Is it to retell this? Is it to be a prequel? What world are they in? I don't think people maybe fully thought through the idea which is hilarious. And I love it in this film conquest. The lesson that they're trying to teach isn't as like ham fisted as say beneath the planet of the apes. Like we don't have to have psychic human mutants, worshiping a bomb. We're just kind of trying to say like slavery is bad, but also human nature is bad. And you know, it's, I keep saying it, it is a Planet of the Apes film. So I'm not taking it too serious. It still kind of misses the mark. Like it's not as prolific and it's like, wow, really take a look at society, folks, after you watch it. But all that being said, still a packed house, still a great film, still had a blast, still liked it more than any of the three newer ones we watched. And I think that's kind of the, you know, as we reach the end of this series, would I rather watch one of these than the newer ones? And if that answer is yes, it's definitely a packed house.
1: Totally agree.
0: How about you?
1: Well, this movie, like this whole franchise, has me going in circles. (gasps) And I think that's the point that we got to because they keep forcing these sequels and they just keep going, well, what will we do next? And since the second movie blew up the earth, They kind of had to go back around and show how they get back. So they're on a mission to get the circle finished from what I could tell. At least that's where it naturally seems to be flowing. But this movie, it makes a run for Darkest Apes movie. I mean, it's super bleak and violent, but it's also totally fun to watch. It's engaging. It's the most apes versus humans conflict we get. I mean, it really starts to feel like a war a battle for all the titles that we've been given up to this point. We're really starting to get the buildup to the whole movie is fierce. Like as we watch Caesar go along and be more and more outraged. And sadly there's the commentary and it turns out to be kind of true. The more and more he leans toward human warring tendencies the more he becomes like what he hates. And I'm sure that's one of the lessons that we were supposed to take away from this film. It's got a lot of civil rights undertones and it pushes the ugliness that that thinking causes right in our faces. But once again, it proves that that sci-fi angle, you tell that story, but you use apes instead of minorities and it makes it something you're not going to look away from, but the message is there. It's always in the back of your mind, tapping and sneaking up on you. So I can't say they intended it to be Less than an entertainment film, like you've said, Rob, it's an apes film. It's apes taking on humans. But either way, they worked some, their magic with this script and used those angles in a really great way. The one big glaring thing that takes away from that is the ending. Famously, the ending of this movie is tacked on. It's a voiceover by Roddy McDowell that sort of undercuts the the fury and the anger and the rage and the conflict of what we've just seen to kind of soften it. Because once again, the suits were like, ah, too dark. Yeah. You know, got to make it a little better. And it really, really takes the air out of that movie at the very end. Plus it looks terrible. But even with that, I think this is kind of an amazing movie. And is it perfect? Once again, of course not, but for a planet of the apes movie, it's really, really good. It's really exciting. And yeah, it's super violent. But that's the story that they're telling at that particular point. And what they had, I think they did a great job with it. So it is by far, in this case, it's not just a packed house. It's a packed burning house on fire with Rodney McDowell outside giving one hell of a speech on the steps of the theater.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Well, Bill, we just have a couple of more things today. And that's just to... Say thank you to Jothan for our show art. Rob Adler for helping us wrangle these audio files. You know, hey, I got to tell everyone I switched jobs in the middle of this series, so that means things like uh, software that was more readily available to me has gone away. So if you see and notice things, or don't notice anything, that's due to Rob Adler helping us here. So thank you, Rob. Thank you, Rob. Thank you listeners and patrons for helping us get back to the software we know and love. Thank you Draxium and Dr. Z for the theme music and those little interstitials. And thank you Jothan for our show art, which I'm pretty sure I already said, but just in case I really love that show art. Um, Bill, do you have any thank yous or anything else to say?
1: I do. I express my thanks to all those people as well. Thank you, of course, to all our friends. We always say we don't have fans. We have friends and without you, none of this really happens. Of course, Rob and I will still have this conversation, but it's great to do this every week and record a show and put it out there and see you guys react to it. And I would say, please react more. Please yeah. share the show. That is the number one thing you can do. Get the word out about it to your friends or anybody that might like this kind of content. We just like having a good time and Hit us up on our socials. Interact with us. Tell us your thoughts. We like seeing all this stuff. We really do. Yeah, it's one of the best things about watching a movie is sh- is shooting a bull with there. Well, in this case, maybe shooting the
0: apes, but probably not shooting the ketchup packets.
1: Yeah, shooting the ketchup packets with it. So if you can, please share, support, five star reviews if you can on your podcatchers gets us noticed. And that's about it. Other than I'm amazed, Rob, that. You and I, it seems like just yesterday, we climbed into this weirdly shaped rocket and shot ourselves into space on this adventure and landed on this planet of the apes. And now we're getting near the end of it. I just can't believe it.
0: And I can't wait for you to announce what we're going to be doing next in our series. But I, I will wait. I will wait until you're ready.
1: That's appropriate. I think we let's not short sell the the one that we're in, because right now we're getting ready to watch the next film in this series, the last of the classic films where we go and battle for the planet of the apes. And I look forward to recording that episode with my buddy, Rob Schulte.
0: You love to hear it. Well, Bill, that's it for this episode. We'll see everyone next time on Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure.